hello, hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mike the Gardener Gardening Podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Crammed with certified organic growing power, if you're looking for amazing results with all of your fruit and vegetables, your flower beds, your lawns and houseplants, then Natural Growers award-winning certified organic peat-free compost and fertiliser knock the socks off chemical products. All products are certified organic, 100% chemical-free and 100% peat-free. And those lovely people at Natural Grower have given me an exclusive 10% discount off all products for my listeners. Just pop Mike 10, M-I-C, the number 10, in the apply coupon field when you check out. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome one of my favourite gardening television presenters to the podcast. You'll know her from the ever-popular ITV Love Your Garden programme and, of course, BBC TV's Gardener's World, where she's been a presenter since 2016. Blimey, where does the time go? I could have sworn it was a couple of years ago she started. This week, I'm joined by Frances Tophill, who joined me a couple of weeks ago to chat about her childhood memories of gardening, how she joined ITV's Love Your Garden and, of course, Gardener's World. I didn't realise I was at a job interview. I thought they wanted to talk to me just about how to engage younger people in gardening TV programmes. So I went along to BBC Bristol and in their canteen just had a chat with some people. And then it, I kind of realised that um, it was a bit of a job interview and I suddenly felt masses of pressure. And I'm glad that I hadn't realised before because I probably, for the last half of that conversation, I probably talked complete nonsense. Frances also tells me about her own small allotment and her brand new garden and we talk about what her own personal garden style is and her thoughts for what she may do with her own garden, having worked on so so many garden makeovers in the last 11 years. Also coming up we touch on her Gardener's World Live show garden from 2022 which saw her win Best in Show and a Platinum Award. And could there possibly be a collaboration with the inimitable English contemporary artist, writer and broadcaster, Grayson Perry? You'll have to have a listen. We also touch upon what reality TV programme Frances might appear on if she were invited. Interesting stuff, I can assure you. We really do cover a lot of ground, but I started our chat by asking Frances if gardening was something that was important to her family. She used to get into trouble helping her mum when she was six and seven, when she tried to help out. Um, I think it was for the older generations. My grandma was a very keen gardener you know that like every child that smell of tomato foliage is very strong um I remember playing a lot in the garden um and also playing a lot in my mum's garden um my grandfather on my dad's side was actually a professional gardener because he like me was extremely dyslexic so he um during the war and stuff did farming rather than fighting and um, and then went on to become a gardener. So he never really spoke about it. And we weren't as close as my mum's side of the family. But mm. it's obviously something that runs in my family. But actually gardening as a as a as a thing to do was just not something that children were ever 
expected or or encouraged to do in my family it was my mum's garden hence my getting in trouble when I tried to help and made a mess of things it was her sort of sanctuary I suppose so when you were out there with your mum was that because it was suggested that you should be out there with her or did you have her was there some sort of beginnings of an interest in gardening do you know I actually can't remember it was so few it's so few times that it happened this one particular thing I remember was each getting a me and my two sisters each getting a a big as was the fashion in the 90s uh like lapis blue glazed pot you know <laughs> and, yeah. and having a project and she would sort she sort of gave us each a little bit of money to to put what we wanted in our in our pots but it was just a one-off thing and I, and I honestly can't remember if it was her who suggested it or us possibly we had an interest and she wanted us to keep out of her garden and in a very contained area <laughs> But, you know, as a child, garden being in the garden was about climbing trees and making dens. And it was we had a very wild, natural upbringing, lighting fires in the countryside, cooking sausages on them, you know, those kinds of things. But mm. the actively gardening was not something that ever occurred to me, which is why I've then gone on as an adult and as a gardener to um, work with people like the RHS Campaign for School Gardening, just to sort of get kids thinking about, gardening as a, a thing to do not necessarily to make it their career but just to kind of spark that like oh okay they might ignore it they might hate it but if you never try it then you don't know do you yeah and you're right definitely so for you what was the moment when something changed within your mindset and you thought gardening could be a thing for me do you remember a particular moment or a plant or it was a it was a moment and it, the moment was rain falling on the window um like I said, I, I was very dyslexic. So my natural inclination was to do something like history, maybe art. I did a BTEC in art, ended up making jewellery, don't really wear jewellery, so I didn't really follow that on and worked in M&S for a few years. And um, the advert for an assistant gardener, a, a, an apprentice gardener came up in the paper and my mum suggested it to me. And I had never done gardening or considered gardening ever up to this point. So I would have been about 19 mm. and um I lay in bed one morning and it was pouring with rain and I could hear the rain on the window and I just remember lying there and thinking I want to go for a walk because that was one of my things I've always loved is going out in the rain and walking and just being in the rain and I thought I'll go for a walk I love being out in the rain and then I kind of got thinking well if I like walking in the rain maybe I would like working outside and I thought oh well I'll go along and see what it's about and I sort of the luckily for me a boyfriend at the time um lived just down the road <laughs> so I kind of got up one morning and wandered along to this garden and met the head gardener and what he walked me around and I remember that moment being like I really want this job wow. and it, it just it came out of the blue I just had never considered gardening as being something I might want to do so you were an apprentice gardener how long were you an apprentice gardener because you then moved on to the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh I believe yes yeah that's right I was an apprentice for a year I did my MVQ level two um in uh, amenity horse culture and then um stayed on that in that garden for another year or year or so um teaching the four new apprentices <laughs> which oh. as, as after just one year of gardening was a real eye-opener <laughs> but um actually was great because they asked so many questions and I'd just go I'm gonna go and look that up and I learned loads more in that year actually just from having to sort of deal with all of their energy um and then I decided I wanted to 
well, I started off, like I said, I'd done art and I started off thinking I'd be a designer, but really quickly realized actually the hard work and the, and the plants was what I loved. Mm-hmm. And so I um, decided to apply for a few different places to learn more about it and luckily got accepted at Edinburgh Botanics where I went for three years and did my degree in botany, horticulture, conservation, and just loved it. Wow. It was and also from that, the, the upshot was actually living in Edinburgh was the first instruction I'd had to community gardening because in the southeast, especially rural, like, you know, coastal southeast England, Kent, um, people think of Kent and they think it's kind of just an extension of London, but down near Dover, which is where my family's very <laughs> oh, yeah. much. As, very yeah, much as a, bit, a bit further on the coast. That's how I see it, really, just as a bit of an extension of London. Yeah, yeah. But out in the sticks and in that kind of more... You know, the rougher bits of Kent, the not leafy Kent, but the actual industrial <laughs> ex-mining, shipping, fishing area. Yeah. Um, for some reason, community gardens just aren't a thing. Um, and I'd never even heard of it. And so working and living and studying in Edinburgh meant I was working and learning about community projects and how amazing things like working with them. Um, sorry, my dog's about to start deciding he wants to play. <laughs> <laughs> He's more than with- welcome. <laughs> is it Rua? It's Rua, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, that kind of then informed my future career more than yeah. I realised. So working with the homeless, drug users, um, people with learning disabilities, mental health um, has been sort of the kind of gardening I've found myself getting more and more involved with. And that's so important these days as we learn more and more about the benefits of horticulture to our physical and mental well-being. Just so, so important. It must be quite nice to have come full circle and to be able to do something so proactive about that now. Yeah, I really love working with people. I mean, I think a lot of gardeners like their own company. You have to like your own company if you're gardening. Gosh, yes. And I do. And I like quiet times, but actually the buzz and energy of working with a big group of people is amazing. And in community gardening, you get to work with such varied people. Um, you know, all, all the, the people that society tends to leave behind. Mm. I think they're like, they're my people <laughs> in a way. I love, I love that. Yeah, and I think that's so nice that there are people out there that you say that they, they do tend to get left behind for whatever reason, wrongly. So it is nice that there are outlets now. Uh, we have a community garden near where I live, and it's just great to go there and see people who have been left behind, but coming together in a new community and they've got a common focus of gardening, which is just wonderful to see. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about gardening, but as an outlet, it seems to be such a confidence builder for people. And and I see the same thing with children, you know, in schools. Um, the, the people who struggle the most with you know, academic, yeah. fitting into society's mould, which is really quite limited. Mm. And for those of us who don't always fit into society's mould, where do you go? You know, you quickly feel that you're invalid and that you're, you know, you're, you're the thing that's wrong, not society's moulds that are wrong. And so working in a garden, I don't know why, but it seems to build, to fill people with an idea that actually they can have an impact on the world around them that's positive and they can build their confidence and they can interact with other people in a way that's really, really rewarding to them and to the people that they're working with and it's I just I love that I love to see it and the way that plants and sowing seeds and nurturing natural things can can fill us with a bit more hope 
Yeah, and I think it, it's quite elemental. You're there with your hands in the soil. So it's quite a it's quite a leveler. There's no sort of hierarchy when you're gardening. If everybody's got their hands in the soil, they're all at a level, all learning together. Um, and anybody can do it, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you're connected with the seasons. There's there's like a tangible, you know, a lot of people feel very disconnected with everything, don't they? Mm. When you're, you have your hands in the soil, you can feel the weather, you can see the sun shining, you can hear the birds singing, you see that season going through its cycle, it, you feel connected somehow. Yeah, that's one thing as, as a professional gardener, just seeing the seasons and just knowing what time of the year it is, what time of the day it is by looking at the sky, hearing the birds when it goes quiet, yeah. just not having to have a physical calendar because nature is your calendar. It's just uh, it's an amazing thing. It is. It really is. Did you realise you are now a notable student at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I was chatting, um, I don't know if you know George Anderson from Beechgrove. Uh, yes, I, I know of him. I don't know him personally. <laughs> well, I was chatting to him on the podcast last year and he was a tutor there. And your name was mentioned. He wasn't a tutor when you were there, but you are a notable student there now. It's very lovely. I, you know, I feel a bit of an imposter with that because when I was there, I had some amazing people you know, um, one of my lectures, Greg Kenneser, another guy called Phil Lusby, just like experts, incredible expert, amazing, kind, wonderful people who mm. I would love to aspire to be. And um, and yeah, to be thought of in anything like <laughs> that, I feel a little bit of an injury. Oh no, lap it up, lap it up. <laughs> But it's lovely. I've been back there and, and, and done guest lecturing and stuff for some of their careers days and things. And it's lovely to be part of that. It's an mm. amazing place to be. I love Edinburgh Botanics. So when you were there, did you have any ideas for what career you wanted to pursue? Yes, I was, like I said, I was massively interested in plants. And mm. um, despite being pretty rubbish at science at school, I actually got really excited by the botany and the evolution of plants. Um, so I was sort of leaning towards an idea of possibly going down more of a conservation route, doing research, because I think what a lot of people don't realise with botanic gardens is, you know, people think they're just nice parks. Mm. Um, but actually, they are botanical collections and, and in it within places like Kew and Edinburgh and all the other botanic gardens around the country and the world, they're doing um, research. They have press specimens that, you know, we, we looked at press specimens of peas from my tutor Greg that were collected by, by Darwin you know wow. they have these in their libraries and in their archives they have books the first descriptions of certain plants they have living material and they have um, DNA material and seed banks um, and they're researching and looking at the, the, the medical properties the conservation status of all of these plants and I found that so fascinating and that was kind of the area I really wanted to go into possibly conservation possibly research um, but I found that because in my second year was when I started working on the TV for Love Your Garden, which was a complete curveball and I was not expecting it. Um, but as that continued, because I thought that would just be for a year, I found that actually you couldn't balance a TV career and a full time conservation career that might take mm. you somewhere else in the world to study some moss or other that might be endangered you know you can't spend three months in a mountain range looking at a particular alpine and then just nip back to film a garden makeover <laughs> it doesn't work that way doesn't quite work no <laughs> 
So how did the Love Your Garden thing come along? So you were at, you were studying. How yeah. did that come about? Um, the production company, Spun Gold, who make it, uh, they contacted lots of horticulture colleges around the country and just said they were looking for some more people to join the great Alan Titchmarsh on on a programme that I think it had had one series and they were rejigging how it was going to look. Um, so they contacted uh, everybody and me and a few friends uh, were like, all right, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so we all got on the train to London and went down and did a, a screen test. Um, and then I got called back for another screen test, which was in the exec producer's garden. I remember planting a strawberry plant. That was all I did. It's like, was that Matt Young? Who I know you've also spoken to, haven't you? Just recently. He was on just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 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 So he, he was sort of on Love Your Garden through the whole 10 years of it. Yeah. Um, so yes, um, I planted a strawberry in Matt Young's garden. So, um, and I remember at the time I, I, I was living because I was uh, my degree ran with SRUC, which is the Agriculture College as well. Yeah. They sort of, they sort of did the formal bit of the degree, um, the paperwork and all that stuff. Um, and so I was as a student, I lived with another horticulture student and two agriculture, basically two farmers <laughs> and those two guys. They were like they were a lot younger than me because I think in Scotland you leave school early, so they were like. 18 17 or something like that and I remember the night before I had to catch the train to London like trying on all the outfits and them telling me what I should be wearing (laughs) (laughs) they still credit themselves as being my stylists (laughs) okay Um, yeah that was it and then and then two weeks later or something I I got a phone call from them and they said they wanted me to be to join the, the program and it was just really bizarre you know one one evening you'd be in the pub with friends in Scotland um, and then you'd get on the train the next day and go down and stay in a hotel which again as you can probably imagine from my rather wild childhood I'd never stayed in a hotel we'd had camper vans and gone camping but I'd never stayed in a hotel and I was there in a hotel with Alan Titchmarsh you know very it was bizarre. Like, what has happened <laughs> yeah it was very strange and how many years down the line? Are you in the 13th series coming up? Yes, it is the 13th series, but we came in on series two. Yeah. And we filmed two in one year. So it is, I think, no, you know, it is 11 years because it was 2012. It's 11 years. Wow. So yeah. how do you feel now, sort of having been sort of pulled out of studying your 11 years down the line? Is it sort of just the day job now or? Yeah, I mean, I, I continued. My lecturers were great. They let me continue my studying whilst filming. They sort of helped by shifting my exam times and stuff if I needed it. So I managed to finish my degree um, and still film, uh, which I wouldn't have given up my degree for the TV. I think I thought it was an interesting thing that maybe mm. one day I'd tell the grandkids about. But I never expected it to be a career and I was incredibly shy I was really scared I remember the first thing I ever did um was putting a big box ball in a huge plastic red planter (laughs) and that was it that's basically all I did on the first program that we ever recorded and I was so terrified you know I, I I was um I was in bands when I was younger and I hid at the back and just played 
the guitar or whatever and didn't want to be seen. And I ended up not stopping doing it because I was so shy. And then there I was having to say stuff in front of people and in front of the camera and um, not just once, but over and over again, which nobody realizes you have to mm-hmm. do more takes. And that was just really strange. And um, so it sort of feels odd that me, that person who was so cripplingly shy has managed to get to a point where now I'm not just putting one plant in one pot for a whole program. I'm doing whole areas or like with garden as well. I'm spending the whole day filming or at Chelsea, I'm there for a week performing. And I don't know how I quite managed to do that because I am still really shy. I just, I guess you just put like a persona on or something. You find it's almost like part. that Showtime thing, I guess. You you become Francis, the TV presenter, rather than Francis. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a different me. It's just like, like shut something off or something where I'm just not thinking about the reality of it. I'm not thinking that it's going out to lots of people. But it, yeah, it's nice. I quite like having my privacy as like in my private life as well. Yeah. So I quite like having me, the real Francis, who turns up to work in like jogging bottoms and an old jumper and no makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's and then you put your makeup on and you put your kind of slightly posh gardening clothes on and then you're Francis the TV person and it's quite nice having that as, you know, you maintain your your yourself, I suppose. But yeah, I suppose you keep always keeps you firmly on the ground anyway <laughs> and then in 2016 gardeners world came knocking on the door how how did that feel pretty i mean scary but also a massive honor um i didn't realize i was at a job interview i thought they wanted to talk to me just about how to engage younger people in gardening tv programs so i went along to bbc bristol and in their canteen just had a chat with some people and then it, i kind of realized that um it was a bit of a job interview and i suddenly felt masses of pressure and i'm glad that i hadn't realized before because i probably for the last half <laughs> of that conversation i probably talked complete nonsense <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean, what an honour. I used to have to watch Garden as well as my homework when I was an apprentice. You know, wow. so just to be on it is amazing. Gosh, that's a real pinch me moment, surely, now. Yeah, massively, massively. And a lot of pressure. And it feels it feels more real, I think, since then. Um, but yeah, it feels like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a bit, I'm actually a sort of TV presenter. It does feel strange, though, when you're you. And for my family, my sisters and my mum, they're like, that's so weird. You're just you. They, everyone calls me Frinky. <clears throat> everyone, my friends and family, they're like, Frinky, it's so weird that everyone knows who you are. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> Not everyone. Only a very small number of people who actually watch gardening TV programmes. <laughs> and so when, when you're out and about and you're, you're Frinky, hmm. is it difficult when people sort of like come up to you and want, because I guess people will feel they know you and there is that sort of like familiarity. How do you cope with that? That must be difficult at times, I guess. It can sometimes be strange. Yeah. I think, I think um, it can also be really lovely. Yeah. Uh, I suppose it depends what you're doing. If you're if you're in your jogging bottoms and your old jumper and feeling really frazzled or something, it can <laughs> be a bit like, oh, okay. And then you have to suddenly find this <laughs> very nice, polite lady that people think they have <laughs> you know um i remember having a row with somebody <laughs> and, then, and then someone sent me a facebook message saying was that you that i saw in so i was like oh my god that's horrendous um yeah it can be odd i think it's but the, the oddest thing isn't people coming up and saying hello 
Um, but more when you meet somebody for the first time that's going to be someone you actually know and they think they know you already and you mm. have like to oh to sort of get over a thing where you they realize you're not quite the person that they think you are because that's just your best per like that's your phone voice person yeah yeah real you person sometimes swears and sometimes you know doesn't <laughs> it isn't <laughs> smiling and nice you know it's 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 those things where you have to sort of overcome the preconceptions people have about you when you actually are really getting to know them yeah I, I can imagine that when you're not filming what do you like to do do you have your own garden and do you have an allotment i have an allotment it's very small which is actually lovely because i came from that one in kent that they put on the tv that was massive and in the middle of a marsh and i never quite got on top of it but this one is really really small and it's lovely silty soil and things grow really nicely there and I can manage the whole thing in one day. So if I am away filming or something for a long time, I can come back and just get on top of all of it in, in a single day, which is a really nice size for me. Um, and I just actually got my first house. And so I've and it's got a small garden. So I am now the proud owner of a very small garden, which is really exciting. I don't quite yet know what I'm going to do with it. I've only literally just kind of moved in. So okay and scary but yeah it's um it's exciting now, I guess you're in a sort of a unique situation you have made or been part of the make of so many gardens with love your garden any mm -hmm. ideas have there been any gardens that you've walked away from and thought gosh yeah I really like that and perhaps now yeah. with your own garden lots and lots of ideas certainly like little kind of things that you're like oh that's really cool um but the overall look, I'm always really, I always really like the wild ones. Um, I'm not into very highly manicured. I'm really not into lots of hard landscaping at all. I like everything soft, really. Um, the one thing I know I need is a greenhouse because I have quite a large collection of tender herbs. Um, okay. really all kind of, I'm very, I'm very interested in um, ethnobotany and, and medicinal herbs. So I've got quite a collection of things that you, you know um africa south african rosemary um oreganos from the mediterranean lots of just normal herbs like tarragon that are that are not hardy um and lots of pelagoniums species south african pelagoniums so i need something to keep all of them safe this next winter um so yeah a greenhouse is top of my list and then the rest I don't know. I don't have a one particular vision. I All I know is it will be wildlife friendly. It will be full of things I can eat and it will be hopefully quite wild looking. I think okay. I, I, maybe it's a rebellion. And also because I'm most inspired by landscape and countryside rather than by gardens. So, you know, having done so many makeovers that are very, very neat and mm. controlled, I really like things that look like you've not been involved, even though, of course, you have. Yeah, yeah. Now, what you've just described there sounds slightly reminiscent of your show garden at Gardeners World Live in 2022. Yeah. How did that come about? And congratulations, best in show and a platinum award. Thank you. Yeah, well, it came about because they approached me and asked me to be the headline garden. And I'm not a designer. I have done the odd bit of design work. But, you know, when you design for clients, it's always what they want which is great because it gives you that brief but I thought it would be really interesting and fun to make something that was entirely my own vision mm. and I just have help with it from um Ruth Gwynn she's the designer she sort of helped me to put it onto the paper and she pushed me further so like the the tool shed 
that was made out of corrugated iron she was like I know it's tall already but why don't you have it even taller and it was like so those things she helped me to sort of shape that but um it was really fun and because the whole brief of Gardeners World Live last year was about sustainability, I was really hot on it. I was like, look, I'm not designing a garden that's called sustainable unless it actually is sustainable. Mm. So it was all pollinator friendly. Um, if it had flowers, edibles were all in there. Lots of weeds were allowed to be in. Oh, actually, they were planted in there. <laughs> um, there was every single thing was made from recycled or reclaimed material. It was all sort of sourced from as locally to the site or to where any of us who were involved with the construction lived so we could collect it. Um, yeah, and at the end, nothing was wasted. Rupert, who, who built it, Rupert Key, sent me a picture of um, the, the the final site as it was all taken down, which is brutally quick. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Build, and less than two days to take, take it, it all away. Apart. Um, but he sent me a picture and it was just a tiny little pile of rubble and some wood. That was all the waste. Um, we weren't throwing loads of stuff in the big skip and things. And it was just really important to me that it was actually sustainable. So it was, an, it was a really fun challenge. Now, you said at the beginning of that, I'm not a garden designer, but any aspirations to do more? Will we see you at Chelsea one year? No. <laughs> what, no. What's up then? Um because I'm not sure what else I have burning in me to do with things like books I really love writing books and as soon as I finish one I'm thinking about what might the next one be with this I feel like you know I kind of exercised all of my um my signature things that I've realized I love like the gravel planting through gravel I love that mm. probably because I grew up by the sea on shingly beaches with you know wild plants growing all around the place I, I did that everything was reclaimed recycled everything was full of edibles there were lots of little ideas of stuff and I'm not sure I have a vision for something else that would be different enough to warrant actually doing it because even with being as sustainable as possible you are still making an impact you know you're bringing things from across the country often yeah. um by road you're you're there is inherent waste which I've always struggled with, with show gardens. Mm. Um, so unless I had, unless I come up with some real burning idea, I'm not sure I'd do it again. And also because I did, I won the best in show, which I totally did not expect. And I got a platinum award. So I feel like I can't better that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe not for a while anyway. It might be that in a few years time, I think. Yeah. It would be fun. And I remember seeing an interview once actually with Grace and Perry on Chelsea Flower Show. Monty interviewed Grace and Perry about, you know, would he ever do one? And he said he'd love to do one, but he doesn't know anything about plants. And I thought then of going, you know, emailing because I love Grace and Perry and being like, I'll do one with you. I can be the plant person and you can have the the vision because the spectacle, the the art, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, for me, that elevates a show garden into being something worth doing because you, if you just make a garden, you can make it as a garden, then why not make it as a garden? Why does it have to be in a show, you know, build a garden that people can then use and it will stay there and it won't all get ripped apart. But if you're making a spectacle, yeah, a yeah. Art, you know, you know, really kind of is a statement, then I'm then I can get behind that. Well, that would be a great collaboration. I remember seeing Grace and Perry at Chelsea that year in a coat made of post-it notes, laminated yeah. post-it notes, which was just wow. Whoa. And he actually, the reason I was so inspired by that was because I have always been very critical about show gardens. I, I haven't really understood the flower show thing. 
really you know I have found it wasteful and partly maybe quite elitist and mm. out of touch with the reality of having come from working in community gardens where you have yeah, to yeah. script day for everything um and I'd always been really critical. And then when Grayson Perry did his walk around, he talked about them and he didn't ever call them gardens. He called them pieces or exhibits. And I was like, oh, I see. They're yeah. not gardens. They're, they are artworks. They're yeah. something else. And he actually helped me to understand something in my own industry that I hadn't even really put two and two together. In. And um, that kind of that way of looking at it is really interesting and gives it a whole nother di- dimension you know okay so watch this space on the show garden but i guess something you will be doing again is writing you've just talked about your love of writing and am i right five books so far well one's a reprint of an of another one <laughs> so it's, i've only written four but yeah i mean that is only i mean i feel very that's really a pinch me moment you know to be able especially as somebody with dyslexia yeah who you know I would as often as not forget even to put words in sentences my sentences would fizzle out into into nothing because my brain had already gone on to the next one so to have been able to sit down and write four books that have actually all been published and I can hold them in my hands now and yeah. I've always had them I feel really proud of that what a fantastic thing to showcase to anybody in that situation anybody can do every anything really yeah, yeah absolutely so when you're not writing, you're not filming, how do you spend your leisure time? Well, actually, let me put another spin on this because I've done a little bit of research before we chatted today. <laughs> There's a number of TV programmes that we watch today that are sort of showcase different talents that people have. So I wondered, given that, if you were able to appear on one of the following programmes, which would it be? So we've got Channel 4's The Great Pottery Throwdown, We've got BBC's Great British Sewing Bee and Channel 4's The Piano with Claudia Winkleman. Now, I seem to think from what I've heard that you have skills in some of those areas. Am I off beam there with any of those? Um, skills is maybe a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> I learned the piano, but I was never very good. Um, well, I know, again, dyslexia, sight reading. I absolutely could not sight read because if anyone has dyslexia, Blobs on a page move around. Now, blobs on a stave, oh my goodness. So try and make them make sense on your hands in an exam. So I, I, I made it to grade five and then I was like, you know what, never, never again. So I love playing the piano, but I would definitely not be up to any level to play on that programme because I've seen the people they have on there and they're amazing. They are, yeah, they are amazing, yeah. They are. Um, sewing I love, but again, I'm absolutely... I'm an instinctive sewer. I don't follow patterns. And that means that as often as not, they go completely wrong. And I have to spend literally hours taking everything apart and repinning it on myself to try and make it fit. <laughs> so not that one either, but pottery. If I had to pick, I would go pottery because I've actually done pottery for longer than I've done gardening. Um, I, I started that as a kind of, well, I always wanted to. I always wanted to have a go on a potter's wheel. And um and I love it. And I have so many mugs that I've made. <laughs> Too many mugs. Um, so one of my things with having a greenhouse is one of my things. But one day, if I possibly can, if I get my own wheel, I would love to have a potter's wheel. I, I just, I think also a lot of gardeners do pottery. Do you, have you ever tried it? 
I, well, like you, well, I went to art college for two years and part of that course was pottery. And yeah. I, there's just something, I think it's maybe your, the hands, the tactile thing, the hands on the clay. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it and haven't done it since, but I love watching the programme and just watching the spectacle of someone throwing a pot or whatever. I, th I think it's, with with being a gardener, you essentially you're playing with with mud all the time and a potter is exactly the same you're you're using uh, the earth yeah um but so loads of the pottery teachers that i've had do gardening as their hobby and loads of gardeners that i have worked with have pottery as their hobby and i and i think for, for me anyway um when you're gardening you're never stopping. You will like run from here, there and everywhere. Everywhere mm. you go, see another thing that you need to do. You know, when it's your job, it can get quite stressful, kind of like, oh God, we haven't planted out all those seedlings and they're going to seed already. You know, all, all those sorts of things. There's always a to-do list that's a million miles long and and you're always running around. So it's physically quite demanding. Yeah. Um, and for me, pottery is, so you're still with the earth, with the, the mud and the clay. Mm. But the only thing you have to concentrate on is being still and finding stillness. Because yeah. as soon as the clay stops moving between your hands, that's when it's centered. And from then you can then start to shape it into something. And if you can just, you have to switch off that that brain that makes you really active mm. and focus on something really still in front of you. And I guess if you're a potter, you're sitting down all day long doing that. You then want to get active and get your body <laughs> yeah, you so it kind of, it feels like it's two halves of the same thing. So the Great British um, Pottery Throwdown is where we'll be looking then? I think so, yeah. So you won't be joining <laughs> Katie and joining up a, a Topolin Rushworth clothing empire? <laughs> no, have you seen what Katie makes? She's so yes, I have. And in fact, Katie <laughs> came on the podcast a year or so ago. And I keep saying to her, I see these fantastic outfits that she makes. And it's like, when are you going to do a men's clothing range? I'm after a nice shirt yes. and a waistcoat. Yes. I know. She put a, a pair of trousers on her Instagram the other day. And I commented because I was like, Couldn't, do you take commissions? Because they are <laughs> really nice trousers. She's so good. She's so she's exactly all the things I wish I could be with sewing. It's like precise and neat and the pattern. And they actually fit you. Whereas my clothes look like clown trousers, <laughs> but, but I enjoy making them, but they, they're not really wearable. Well, it's it's the actual doing of it, isn't it? That's it's the actual involvement. Yeah. Um, just before we go, time has run away. Um, you're at the very popular Gardeners World Spring Fair in Bewley, which is just down the road from me in April, the 28th of April. Can mm. you give us a sneaky peek as to what you might be doing there? Do you know what you'll be doing there? Yes, I will be doing some talks. I think there are two stages. There's the the subscribers lounge, which will be nice and indoors because I remember from last year it can be a bit chilly yes. at that time of the year still. Mm -hmm. um, and then there'll be the main stage with Matt Biggs where we'll be talking um, all things gardening, really, just talking with in front of an audience. Hopefully we'll get some questions. I always like taking questions from people. Wonderful. Francis, thank you so much for taking time out for your schedule to come and have a chat with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's been lovely. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I love chatting with Francis, who, by the way, had had a busy day at work and was still happy for me to have a chat with her. So huge thank you, Francis, for your time. I really appreciate it.
Now, for fans of Gardener's World, the new series started on the 17th of March, and I'm pretty sure there'll be a new series of Love Your Garden on its way in 2023, so watch this space. And of course, if you're a fan of Frances like I am, you can order her books through your local bookshop or, of course, online. And I, for one, think a Francis and Grayson Perry garden collaboration would be incredible. So watch this space on that one. Wouldn't that be great? Right. As always, I'm heading out into my own garden as the sun is actually shining today. Yes, it is. I can hardly believe my luck. So I'm hoping this afternoon will be an agenda full of gardening. And I've got plenty to be getting on with, I can assure you. As always, my thanks to you for listening and hello to any new subscribers. And if you haven't, yes, you know the drill. Don't forget to follow and subscribe because there is still plenty more to come on the Mike the Gardener Gardening podcast. So, folks, I will see you next week. Happy gardening. Bye bye for now. Bye bye.